We'll hear argument first this morning in case 21-476-303 Creative, LLC, versus Elenus. Ms. Wagoner? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Lori Smith blends art with technology to create custom messages using words and graphics. She serves all people deciding what to create based on the message, not who requests it. But Colorado declares her speech a public accommodation and insists that she create and speak messages that violate her conscience. This court rejects such government-compelled speech. In Hurley, the court considered a very similar issue, asking two questions. Is there speech, and is the message affected? That test is easily met here. Colorado agrees Ms. Smith creates speech, and the law undeniably affects her message. She's not asking this court to create new law, but to apply its precedent. Colorado first says this case is about a sale. It's not just about a sale. The state forces Ms. Smith to create speech, not simply sell it. Next, Colorado says it can compel speech on the same topic. But Ms. Smith believes opposite-sex marriage honors scripture and same-sex marriage contradicts it. If the government can label this speech equivalent, It can do so for any speech, whether religious or political. Under Colorado's theory, jurisdictions could force a Democrat publicist to write a Republican's press release. Colorado's last resort is to argue that it can at least compel the same expression. But even the same expression can mean different things, like a black sculptor who carves a custom cross to celebrate a Catholic baptism but not an Aryan church rally. If the government may not force motorists to display a motto— school children to say a pledge, or parades to include banners, Colorado may not force Ms. Smith to create and speak messages on pain of investigation, fine, and re-education. I welcome this Court's questions. Uh, Counsel, would you spend uh, just a few minutes on whether or not this, uh, uh, your case is ripe? Sure. This court has considered pre-enforcement challenges before, and in those contexts, um, it has looked at the facts. This is one of the strongest pre-enforcement cases I think that this court has considered, and that the parties have stipulated every message that Ms. Smith would create has a unique, customized message, and that it celebrates a wedding and celebrates a marriage. It's also difficult to imagine a scenario where there is an, a more aggressive enforcement history by Colorado. Ms. Smith's speech has been chilled for six years. She has been unable to speak in the marketplace. She's ready to do so today, and she's ready to post her website statement today, which makes this case ripe. Ms. Wagner, unless you're not through with that, sorry. You're, I'm okay. through. Okay. Thank you. Um, Can I give you a hypothetical? It's not really a hypothetical because I happen to have two clerks in my chambers this year who are engaged. So in uh, looking at this case and preparing this case, I looked at their websites. And uh, so the hypothetical is about, like, I'm going to call it the standard website. They both have their names on it, the date of the wedding, a picture of the couple. Then there are a bunch of places that you can click to. And one is... um, the schedule of events, and the other is travel and hotel arrangements, and another is favorite things to do in town while you're here, and another is registry. So that's what most websites look like, yeah? And they're not particularly ideological, and they're not particularly religious, they're not particularly anything, all right? And 
Uh, and then there's uh, a tagline, just like the tagline in this case, about sort of who created the website or whose graphics and design and typefaces and so forth were used in the website. And so one of them says, I'm going to substitute a woman's name just to not advertise, but one of them says, made by love with amber, by, made with love by amber, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually bigger than the 303 tagline. Um, so I guess what I want to know is, suppose Amber wakes up tomorrow morning and says, you know what, I don't want to do those websites anymore for same-sex couples. Could she do that? In terms of creating new websites? No, you know, like she's providing these templates and she has all these designs and, and, and uh, typefaces and... And that's what people use when they create their own website because they give her the date and they give her the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the list of hotels and so forth. So can Amber wake up and just say, no more gay couples? She can't say no more gay couples, but a speaker does have the ability to decide not to speak under the law. But I think the hypothetical that you're mentioning is assuming that it's a plug-and-play website, essentially, that the website is already made and that the speech creator isn't making any additions to it. No, no, no. I mean, you know, just like, I mean, I have to think that your client does something similar. You have lots of graphics. You have, you know, typefaces. And, you know, maybe, you know, some are a little bit more... Uh, you talk to the client and some are a little bit less you talk to the client. But basically, you know, clients are coming in and they're saying, uh, we just want a standard website, you know, that tells people where to stay and what, how to travel there and, uh, uh, and you know, uh, what our favorite things to do are. And, and the question is, can a website designer say, sorry, that's not my kind of marriage? The website designer. There's no scripture, there's no ideology, there's no nothing. There is ideology, and this court has already recognized that there is ideology and different views on marriage, and the court's promise in Obergefell is to protect those who would believe marriage is between a man and a woman from having to express a view that violates their conscience. But I okay, think- so I think that if I understand you, you're saying, yes, she can refuse, because there's ideology just in the fact that it's Mike and Harry and there's a picture of these two guys together. That is speech. You are announcing a wedding. And if you believe the wedding to be false, then the the government would be compelling you to say something that you otherwise wouldn't say, which makes it content-based. So it's really nothing about the content of this speech. I mean, it could be Mike and Pat, and you don't actually even know whether Pat is a woman or a man. Uh, There's really nothing about the content of this speech. Am am I right? In your case, you have, like, scripture examples. And so that might, you know, be different, maybe. But you're being forthright and saying it's really not about that. It's nothing about the content of the speech. It's just that the content is being, uh, whatever the graphics and typefaces and, you know, uh, you know, which hotels are, uh, you know, have been reserved for the wedding, it's being used in a same-sex marriage. No, it's not about the use. 
It, what is it's about when a person is creating speech, it is what is the message that they are expressing. The Hurley framework asked this court to first look at is there speech, and there clearly is. Words, graphics, text, videos, pictures, that's speech, and it's generally protected. The second is to ask is the speaker's message affected? And when you're requiring a speaker to create a message to celebrate something that they believe to be false, you're compelling their speech, and it's affecting their message. So it's their a- message is not actually actually the content of the website. I mean, this is Justice Kagan's point. We could have a situation in which the identical website is being offered, one to Harry and Anne, and one to Harry and Steve, but everything on the website is exactly the same. I think I hear you saying that the message that the designer would be sending when she offered the website to Harry and Steve would be different and contrary to her beliefs and that so so it's it's the implicit message that she's endorsing that wedding that's no. the problem no, she's not. It's not about whether she's endorsing it. She's not speaking through anything but creating the speech. And when you switch out those names, you're switching out the concept and the message that is actually in the website. Think of an example Where? of God bless this marriage. Suppose that we. Well, well that's that's. A particular message. But I looked and, and to your uh, proposed website, and I turned to page 51. It says, save the date, Lily and Luke, November 17, 2017. So what's the message if it says, save the date, Lily and um, Lily and Lillian, or Lily and Mary? What's the message there? That's an invitation to celebrate a marriage. But why is it your invitation? I go to a wedding website. It's something that I send, meaning you, your clients. I send it to my family and friends, or Lily and Luke send it to their family and friends. You don't send it. They go to this website. You're not inviting them to the wedding. Lily and Mary are. So how has it become your message? In the same way that it is the message of a ghostwriter who writes an anonymous press release or a book, it is still that writer's speech. The whole point of the compelled speech doctrine is to ensure so that... In- what's the limiting line of yours? Of yours? Um, Justice Kagan asked you about another website designer, but how about people who don't believe in interracial marriage? Or about people who don't believe that disabled people should get married. What's, where's the line? I choose to serve whom I want if I disagree with their personal characteristics like race or disability. I can choose not to sell to those people. Not this a, website, because it's my speech. Not at all, Your Honor. The... Hurley framework provides that in a public accommodation context, the first thing the court looks at is, is the speech creator otherwise serving those in the protected class and expressing other messages? In the context of race, it's highly unlikely that anyone would be serving black Americans in other capacities, but only refusing to do so in an interracial marriage context. Suppose uh, suppose we agreed that uh, the website designer uh, could not refuse to uh, provide that service to a same-sex couple 
if the website is of the kind that Justice Kagan described. What does that say about the particular case that is before us on stipulated facts? Well, it would say that the court isn't considering those facts because that's not this case that's presented to them. But at the same time, even that website — Well, so uh, what are the differences between — what differences do you see between her hypothetical and the actual case that is before us? She provided a number of hypotheticals. So in terms of assuming Just it's one, a Ms. The, the hypothetical website. where there is a website and basically all the, the website operator does is to put in the names of the two people who are getting married. That's not a service that, uh, or speech creation that Ms. Smith provides. But if she did provide that, if it's a plug-and-play website where the couple, for example, is putting in their names and, and using their website, then you don't have compelled speech because you don't have a speech creator. But even in the context of putting in names... I'm sorry. Show me on your website. Show me in, on the pages of your petition for a writ of certiorari. Show me a page on that website that is an endorsement of a marriage as opposed to the story of a couple? Well, either one violates the compelled speech no, doctrine. No, no, no. Please can't. show me a page on your website. It's attached to your petition. I'll start you on page 51. Pages 53, 52, 54, okay. 55, and 56 all represent an invitation 53 and a celebration. says our photo gallery. 54 says funny dating story. How is that your story, your photo gallery? It's the couple's photo gallery. Page 54 is funny dating story. It's their story, not your story. I'm looking at every page, and basically it's the story of the couple. It's a date on page 51. 52 is our special day. 53 is RSVP, our photo gallery. 54 is a funny dating story. I keep looking at all of the mock-ups, and all of them relate to what Lily and Luke are saying or doing, who they are, who are their grooms, who aren't their, who's their bridesmaids. I don't understand. How is this your story? It's their story. If you're asking whether, first of all, uh, book authors, newspaper editors, those who write all kinds of publications may be writing about someone else's story, but it's still their speech, and but it's still protected. they're not public accommodations in the same way. Ms. Wagoner, can I ask they, you a question about a heterosexual couple? So in response to Justice Sotomayor's questions, I took it that your website, where you say why a wedding website, um, you go through, and it seems like, careful, Ms. Smith was careful to say things like, I fully customize the look, feel, theme, message, color, palettes, etc. And then there's the engagement story page, and inspired by a page inspired by you and written by Lori that captures and conveys the cherished storybook of your love. So I want to ask you a hypothetical about a heterosexual couple that comes to your client. And their wedding story, you know, that they want to write under the engagement story page goes like this. We are both cisgender and heterosexual, but that is irrelevant to our relationship, which transcends such categories. We knew we were soulmates from the moment that we met, and on and on. Would your client publish that site? Yes, she would publish the site. 
because her objection, assuming that the marriage is between uh, a man and a woman, she would publish it, and that there's no message. Even that she though that narrative, I assume, is inconsistent with her biblical views about marriage. Or I'll give you another related one. A heterosexual couple comes to her, and in the engagement story part, writes a story that goes like this: We met at work. We were both married to other people. But what began as late nights at the office quickly turned into love. After six months, we realized we could be happy only with each other. So we decided to begin our story today, got divorced, and are marrying each other. Does she publish it? I don't believe that she would. I also don't believe that she would embrace or express a message that would essentially say it doesn't matter whether there is a marriage between a man and a woman. She wouldn't create that speech So it's about the message and not about the sexuality of the couple that asked her to express it that matters. Yes, which is exactly how the court decided the case in Hurley, but it's also in other cases as well, the Pacific Gas and Miami Herald cases. This court has routinely looked at compelled speech cases to determine if the message... And Ms. Wagner, can I just ask you to clarify before we move on? When I first asked you the question about the cisgender heterosexual couple, you said you thought she would publish it, but then it seemed like you wavered and said something different. If I could just clarify the hypothetical, the second part of the statement was that it didn't matter. Is, is that? That concepts of gender or, you know, sexual orientation were irrelevant to their relationship because they believe that those categories don't matter. What matters is their union of souls. No, that she would not create a, a website that would say that because that would violate her beliefs about what scripture holds on marriage. In the same way, though, this law and the compelled speech doctrine protects the LGBT website designer who won't be forced to have to create a website essentially advocating for a view of marriage that they don't hold. Can I ask? No, go ahead. No, no, please. No, no, no. Justice, Justice Gorsuch. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, one can view these websites, or last time around we had cakes, um, as either expressing the maker's point of view or the couple's point of view. And, and th- that's really at, at the heart of a lot of this. And I guess I'm, I'm a little confused because sometimes – As I I understand it, you're saying inherently here um, it is my client's point of view and not just the couple's point of view. I'm being compelled to speak. I get it. And sometimes Colorado agrees with you. For example, when it comes to uh, the example you just gave, which is why I popped up, Um, I believe it was uh, William Jack in in the Masterpiece Cake uh, example where Colorado said he didn't have to create cakes that, uh, that spoke against same-sex marriage, that that would be his compelled speech, not just the couple's speech. So what do we do about this level of generality problem, if you will, where people slide back and forth based upon their priors? How do we avoid that as a court? What rule would you have us draw? The court should follow a rule that says if the speech is being created and there's an objection and that objection is contained in the message, it is protected speech. And the government can't so slide up and down. tell me why it's not protected speech. The identical message that, um, that uh, Justice Barrett put forth, but by a disabled couple. And you say, I don't want disabled people to get married. I think propagating a disability is against my personal belief. It doesn't have to be religious, because we're not dealing with the religious part of this. 
I don't want to speak that message. I, too, believe that two disabled people getting married and telling their story of how they got in love, I'm not going to serve those people because I don't believe it's that not they should be married. What's the difference between that and I don't believe black people and white people should get married? What matters is what the objection is that the speaker is being asked to create and whether the but objection it, but is... But if I just... That's my objection. I don't believe they should be telling their story. If you don't believe they should be telling their story and what they're asking you to do is tell their story, then you don't have to do that. In so the it doesn't same way, really... There is no line on race. There is no line on disability, ethnicity. None of the protected categories that's, in a public accommodation law. There is a line. There's a very clear line, and it's worked what, tell very me what well. what the clear line is. It's You're saying it's compelled speech, correct? Not compelled service. I'm saying that in the public accommodation cases, this court has routinely looked at whether there's speech and whether the message is affected and whether the objection lines up with the but final the one speech. But the one line that, that you're missing is Justice Gorsuch's line. Whose speech the is the person viewing it? going to think is talking. The Pulitzer Prize doesn't go to the customer or to the subject. It goes to the photographer. And there's a reason for that. That reason is because you are requiring that artist to speak a message. It is their work. It might also be the customer's, and the customer can use that. But the First Amendment is broad enough to cover the lesbian website designer and the Catholic calligrapher. The line is that no one on any side of any debate has to be compelled to express a message that violates their core convictions because, as this court found, it's demeaning the to line, them. So you want I, us, I'm sorry. Can I ask you a hypothetical that just sort of helps me to flesh that out? Because I also su heard you suggest earlier that there's something different about race. Maybe the person wouldn't sell to someone um, of a different race. So, so suppose um, you, you say that photography is expressive. Can you give me your thoughts on a photography business in a shopping mall during this holiday season uh, that offers a product called Scenes with Santa. And this business uh, wants to express its own view of nostalgia about Christmas's past by reproducing classic 1940s and 1950s Santa scenes. They do it in sepia tone and they are uh, customizing each one. This is not off a rack. They're really bringing the people in and having them interact with Santa, children, um, because they're trying to capture the feelings of a certain era. Um, but precisely because they're trying to capture, capture uh, the feelings of a certain era, their policy is that only white children can be photographed with Santa in this way, because that's how they view uh, the scenes with Santa that they're trying to depict. Now, the business will gladly refer families of color to the Santa at the other end of the mall who will take anybody. But, and they will photograph families of color in other scenes. Other scenes. So they're not discriminating against the families. What they're saying is scenes with Santa is preserved for white families, and they want to have a sign next to the Santa that says only white children. Why isn't your uh, argument that they should be able to do that? And may maybe it is. Because in the photograph itself, the objection is not contained in that photograph. But in addition, I think it's important to remind the court that No, no, no. Don't leave. Sorry. What do you mean? I mean, the objection, just like your uh, client's objection, 
is to expressions that uh, violate their own views of what is being depicted. And so their view of what is being depicted is that a scene with Santa and a child on the lap and all of that in sepia tone trying to harken back to the good old days should only have white children in it. That's their firm belief. They are not willing to take photographs of black, Hispanic, Asian children on Santa's lap. Why is that any different than a situation like this? Because the specific objection that you're including is not necessarily in that photograph. But even if it were, this court has protected vile, awful, reprehensible, violent speech in the past. And it is never compelled. No, I'm just asking you, why is the objection of the web uh, designer, as Justice uh, both Kagan and Sotomayor has pointed out, when we look at your examples... They just say things like, please come to the wedding on this day. Precisely. It's an invitation to a wedding. Okay. So I'd, she, uh, so, so if, if my hypothetical is an invitation to join me in the 1950s um, through looking at this photo, you say one is different? I say that that same clarity of the message isn't in that photo, but there are difficult lines to draw, and that may be an edge case, but this is not. We have a creative a creator of speech, and a very clear it message. It may be an edge case, meaning it could fall on either side. You're not sure? I am, I am sure, and that the message isn't in the product. It's not in the photograph. But even if this court were to find that it was, the court would still have to protect the speech. And the court could draw a line in a different place as it has juxtaposed Loving and Obergefell in terms of the beliefs between same-sex marriage. So just but it, in, sorry. In Obergefell, did the court say that religious objections to same-sex marriage are the same thing as religious or other objections to uh, people of color? No. In fact, it said that decent and honorable people hold beliefs about marriage, believing that there's a gender-differentiated marriage and that that's based on reasonable religious and philosophical premises. When we review loving, there's but a very different... how to write this decision for you that draws the line just on gay marriage, because that's what you seem to be saying right now, but draws a line that doesn't affect my example of a disabled person or an interracial couple. You're saying it's just because it's compelled speech. I'm saying that the interracial couple, the disabled person, the lesbian graphic designer, the Democrat, the Republican, no one should be compelled to speak a message. And this court has never found a compelling interest that so is narrowly that you, tailored. So you're, you're saying a print shop, a web designer, uh, a cake maker, a, a, photographer. A, jewelry ma- a photographer, a jewelry maker, they can refuse to serve anyone they want to refuse because they have a deeply felt belief that serving, taking pictures of black couples, black and white couples, taking pictures of disabled people, people are going to believe that they're speaking that message. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that in every free speech case, the court looks first, is there speech? In many of the situations you raised, there would not be speech. But why not? I'm saying your identical website and I don't see a page in here where it says, I am speaking, 303. That's on your personal website. It's not on the wedding website. I've asked you to show me where. 
in which pages it's your message as opposed to the couple's message? Every page is my client's message. But that, Just as in a newspaper that hosts an op-ed written by someone so why else. Does it, or the, Hurley, the parade. But then why does an off-the-shelf website, the creator of an off-the-shelf website, is then speaking? That's what you're saying. No, because the compelled speech doctrine doesn't apply once you've entered that speech into the stream of commerce. When the speech is completed, the compelled speech doctrine no longer applies. But in addition, there are 20 states that have filed an amicus brief in this case and said they are right now using their public accommodation laws to allow message-based protections, as Hurley would require, and they're not experiencing these issues. And But you're com- not asking for that. You're saying, I don't want to serve a particular person, a disabled person, a black and white couple, a disabled couple, a uh, a gay couple. You're basing it not on the nature of the message. You're basing it on who you're serving. That's, I don't think that's a fair characterization. The stipulated facts in this case are that Ms. Smith has LGBT clients. She serves them regularly. She has all kinds Tell of clients. Tell me how that's different, by the way. What you're basically saying is in our uh, — Oleg barbecue case, um, the company there said, I'll serve blacks, but only on a takeout window, not inside my restaurant, because that sends a message that I endorse integration. Ms. Smith isn't looking to send a message through her conduct. What you're saying is, I want to give gay couples a limited menu, not a full menu. Just the way that luncheonette said. No, just as this court found in Hurley, she's being asked to shape her speech by a third party. And it's, again, it's about what messages she is creating. In Ollie's Barbecue, they weren't engaging. When I sit down to eat a meal by a full chef who creates this beautiful picture on a plate, why can't he say, I make specialized meals for my clients. I will not serve a black person I won't serve a disabled person because they can't appreciate fully what I'm creating. That's basically what you're saying. No, I don't think it is what I'm saying. We're conflating service and speech in that instance. A chef but is. Why is yours not a service? May I answer the question? Y- yes. Because it is creating speech. And the public accommodation law is broad enough to ensure that we're not crushing consciences, not just of Ms. Smith, but of her LGBT friends. Thank you, counsel. Um, if your uh, client's website uh, — yeah, you go, you're not so fast. Uh, <laughs> New if, way of doing it. <laughs> if, your, if your client's website uh, was the same as it is, but the only uh, uh, indication of any limitation was a tagline at the end saying, these services are for uh, uh, heterosexual couples only, uh, could that constitutionally be applied under the Colorado statute? The speech could be compelled if you're suggesting that she essentially has a no customers only sign. And that's exactly. No, no, well, no, as in your case, no websites. No websites are available for, except for heterosexual couples. For marriage? Yeah, same thing. I, I, generally speaking, no. In Ms. Smith's particular case, all of her websites are created. They're original, customized to the story. And so in that instance, she believes same-sex marriage to be false and couldn't create the speech. Okay. What if it said, um, I won't provide websites for uh, 
anything other than heterosexual marriages because of religious reasons. Could that be covered? Or is it simply the invocation of religious basis for the objection that uh, protects it from coverage under the statute? The religious basis is not determinative here. This Court has provided broad protection for religious speech, but it, it wouldn't matter. This, this compelled speech doctrine applies in a host of situations and cases that are not religious. I guess I don't understand uh, that answer. In other words, is it simply adding for religious reasons to the label uh, that would change whether it's can be regulated or not? I think what's important is that the objection is to the message she's being asked to create. And so if she believes she's being asked to create a message that violates her convictions, whether those convictions are based on a moral reason or a religious reason, it would be protected. Okay, thank you. Justice Thomas? Justice Alito? Justice Sotomayor? Justice Kagan? Yeah, I I wanted to take you back to my opening questions and then Justice Alito's question about how your case is different from my hypothetical. And maybe the way to sort of cut through some of this is to not make it a hypothetical and just ask about your client. So Mike and Mary go into your client. We love your graphics. We saw them someplace else. We love how this looks. Um, Here's what we want. We want a standard site, our names, the picture, the hotels, the registry, you know, just just that. And... uh, you say okay, don't you? As, yes, assuming all the details line up with the message that she's willing to create. Yeah, I mean, then they say, we don't want your scripture. But they, yeah, that's all right with you. They don't have to have scripture. No, they don't. Yeah, have to. they can just have a standard site, right? Okay. So now it's not Mike and Mary. Now it's Mike and Mark, and they want the identical site. We saw Mike and Mary's site. We loved it. We're getting married, you know, you know, all they want to change is the date maybe or, you know, their names, whatever. We loved it. And, and they don't get it. And the question, and, and you say no, right? You, you, you wouldn't be up there if you weren't going to say no, right? They can't get that site. Yes, because the same words can even convey different meanings. Yeah. So then, I mean, the difference is one couple is opposite sex, one couple is same sex. How is this, you know, what, what are the different meanings? What is the speech that your client is expected, is, is required to provide in uh, the way I expressed it to you? The purpose of the websites is to celebrate an upcoming wedding. It's to announce a wedding. And it to, is to and announce to, a wedding. I mean, let's, this is a standard site. You know, there's not a whole lot of, gosh, isn't this great? It's just like, here's the registry, you know? It's announcing the wedding. It's announcing where to get the hotel reservations and so forth, right? So what speech is being, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what websites do, just like it's what invitations do, Right. So, you know, next we'll have the stationer up there saying, you know, we print the, sta- the, the stationery, right? I mean, that would be the same. It is announcing the wedding. What's the speech that's been required of your client that we – I mean, I'm going to have lots of questions for these guys too. But in, in that context, what is the speech that is required of your client that would violate the First Amendment? She believes – that same-sex weddings contradict scripture, and she's announcing a concept of marriage that she believes to be false. And in addition to that, even— I mean, but that just sounds to me like I would be participating at a wedding. I would be 
you know, lending my services to a wedding. You know, as Justice Sotomayor suggested, the florist, the baker, and the guy who provides the chairs are also providing the services in a wedding that they don't like. Um, uh, So why are they any different? The person providing the chairs isn't providing speech. But when you are engaging in symbolic speech, whether that be through the creation of a custom wedding cake or a custom wedding website, you are creating speech. Even though the site doesn't say anything about that, it doesn't say, wow, gay marriage is a wonderful thing. It doesn't say, it doesn't even say, you know, we're here to celebrate this wonderful marriage in my hypothetical. It doesn't even say that. Again, the announcement of the wedding itself is a concept that she believes to be false, and the entire purpose behind the compelled speech doctrine is to avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. It's to ensure that individuals don't speak messages that betray their conscience, and that applies just as much to the Democrat as to the LGBT or the black cross sculptor. Thank you. Justice Gorsuch. So, counsel, um, we've spoken a little bit about how Colorado has handled this compelled speech question differently with respect to different messages, Um, some that it prefers, others that it dislikes. I'm curious how other states have dealt with this conundrum um, besides Colorado and how you, which ones of those you think we should take account of. Twenty states filed an amicus brief in support of Ms. Smith and expressed to this court that they're applying their public accommodation law to provide message-based protections, just like the court did in Hurley, following the same test that's being articulated today. And they've been doing it successfully. Yes, there are difficult line-drawing questions, but those are in every speech case, whether it's sleeping in the park or putting on an armband. The court doesn't have to resolve every single one of them, but we do have the rules, and we need the court to provide guidance. Again, reaffirming public accommodation laws cannot compel speech creators, whether that's artistic expression with symbols or pure speech. And just so I make sure I understood your colloquy with uh, Justice Barrett, Um, the objections to compelled speech here on religious grounds could include, in fact, do include some objections with respect to certain heterosexual marriages, that there are certain heterosexual unions that your client would not speak toward either. Is that correct? Certainly, and that's in the stipulated facts in terms of she declines messages based on the message, and she has declined other projects based on the message that have nothing to do with same-sex marriage. So the question isn't who, it's what. Always. Thank you. Justice Kavanaugh? From the briefs, uh, I saw a lot of agreement, actually, between the parties in this case on basic legal principles. Uh, In your reply brief, page 15, you say that hairstylists, landscapers, plumbers, caterers, tailors, jewelers, and restaurants ordinarily wouldn't have First Amendment free speech right to decline to serve uh, a same-sex wedding. At least that's how I read uh, that reference in your brief. But you say artists are different, um, like publishing houses. And I think the other side, I'll hear from them, but agree that artists are different uh, because of the First uh, Amendment rights that artists uh, possess. But then, as at least as I read the briefs, the case comes down to a fairly narrow or uh, narrow question of how do you characterize website designers? Uh, are they more like the restaurants and the jewelers and the tailors, or are they more like 
uh, you know, the publishing houses and the other uh, free speech analogs that are raised on the other side. That's what I took away from the briefs. A lot of agreement on broad legal principles and um, some disagreement about how to characterize the website designers. So why are you right about how you characterize website designers, or put another way, why are they different, and you've gotten this question, but why are they different from, say, restaurants uh, or caterers, for example? Because they're creating speech. In those other examples, speech is not at issue. That is creating speech, announcing a wedding, or announcing anything. Um, and art is different. And so while there may be agreement on that, what there also is a problem with Colorado's advancing theories that keep narrowing and providing alternatives. But in the end, one thing is certain. Those who object to same-sex marriage and creating messages about them, those are the ones that can't speak. But everyone else seems to be able to do so under Colorado's theory. In addition, this court has already articulated how we determine whether speech is involved for an artist. And I think the court could follow those tests here with words, graphics, videos, and again, symbolic speech. So for you, um, as, as uh, there's an effort to protect both the equal rights of gay and lesbian people and same-sex couples at the same time protect free speech rights, your line is look at whether the action of the uh, business involves speech. And the second line would be to look at what is the objection that the creator is asserting and would that actually be in the final product because that's how this court has ferreted out protectural objections. So if a, if a, a speech creator articulates an objection and it's not in that final photograph, the objection or the, the message isn't in there, that's one way we can know. Another is if they're refusing to serve an entire class of people and design other messages, none of which are true here. But so I if you win this case, if you prevail, Fail here, you know, and the next case involves a caterer, at least your position here is that's different. I won't be coming back with the caterer, but I will be coming back with perhaps a custom cake, wedding cake or a cake that has that, a symbolic the, meaning to it. Okay, but the, the caterer, the, the list of things that you had on page 15 of the reply brief, at least ordinarily, you had a caveat in there, but ordinarily wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have the same right that your client here does who's a website designer. They wouldn't have a free speech right. And as in terms of your initial statement about the parties agreeing, I do think it's important on pages 17 and 32 of the United States brief, they're even conceding that it's a burden on a speaker to have to express a message that violates their convictions. They're just simply relabeling this or repackaging speech as a sale or conduct. Thank you. Justice Barrett. So I think the questions that Justice Kagan asked you are hard because they seem like they're not creating. I mean, you're on your strongest ground when you're talking about her sitting down and designing and coming up with the graphics to customize them for the couple. So let me just clarify exactly what your position is on things that are already created in the past. What if it is plug and play? Um, I don't know that much about website design, so I don't know how it could be plug and play. I'm sure it can be. She, she does the programming, the coding, she has stock pictures, and she sells that as a product, and the customers, you know, Mike and Henry, or, you know, Lily and Luke, fill it in themselves. Is that protected? 
it is not protected in the same way that if you sold a Bible commentary, you wouldn't be able to decide whether the Bible commentary will be burned or it will be used in a church service. The stream of commerce, it's been put in the stream of commerce. Okay, so why is it different? Justice Kagan said, so maybe you do create customized websites and you've created one for, you know, Lily and Luke and then, you know, Mike and Henry see it and say, you've created that already. We love it. We want to buy it. Don't create anything new for us. Just give us exactly what you did for them. Why is that different than plug and play, or is it? It is different. I mean, first of all, if I take your hypothetical on its face, we would be selling essentially a web. She would be creating a website that's exactly the same with the same pictures and text and graphics and videos of an opposite-sex couple and selling it to a same-sex couple, which seems highly unlikely. They wouldn't use that to celebrate their wedding. So in terms of if you're asking her to change the text, to change the logistics, to change the names, you're changing bride and groom. You're changing the couple's name. You're changing. We know context changes meaning. Justice Ginsburg said that in Yates versus United States. Even the same words have different meaning. God bless this marriage means something different. My body, my choice means something different to an anti-vaxxer or a pro-abortion opponent or proponent. So in that sense, that's why she would object if she were changing the words in the text. But of course she would sell the same website celebrating an opposite-sex wedding to a same-sex couple. Okay, so context changes, meaning what if instead of a graphic designer, she's a songwriter? And she writes a song, you know, let's say, At Last or Wind Beneath My Wings or something that people want to dance to at their wedding. And the lyrics are out there. You know, it could be played at a heterosexual wedding or it could be played at a gay wedding. Once the artist has created that song, can the artist say, but I'm not licensing it to be played at certain kinds of weddings? No, I don't think the artist could. I'm not familiar with the licensing rules and how all that would apply um, in terms of a contractual relationship. But in terms of just having a song used at a wedding, assuming that would otherwise be okay, there's no other legal rights, she couldn't. That was in the stream of commerce. But I think it's important to point out that if that artist were being asked to perform that song in a live way, for example, saying at a Democratic inauguration and they were asked to perform at the Republican one, under Colorado's theory, they could be compelled to do so in a number of jurisdictions. Nineteen jurisdictions have political ideology. And when we think about that, there's no limit to what the government could compel. Thank you. Justice Jackson? But isn't an artist typically sort of a a freelancer and they are selling their own messages? They're not um, purporting to be a business for hire in in any meaningful sense. And so I want to kind of go back to um, Justice Kavanaugh's thought of, like, where do we place your client as between, you know, restaurants and artists? I thought um, that there really isn't that clear a distinction in a situation like this um, because your client is an artist for hire, essentially. Yes, she does customize things. They're not off the shelf. But she purports to be a public accommodation providing uh, customized things to anyone who pays her except for people whose messages are those that she disagrees with. And I just don't know that I've ever seen that kind of scenario, even in the cases that you're talking about, because sort of what Justice Gorsuch was saying, it's, it's relying on the implicit uh, message that she does not want to convey by supporting this person. There's an explicit message in the actual work, 
but to the extent that actual work is identical to the to the work that she would otherwise sell to the gay couple, except for their names, then she is implicitly saying, you know, by selling this, I'm going to be uh, violating my own beliefs. Um, so let me just ask you another quick hypo. So I, I'm trying to understand the extent to which this matters that she's a speaker um, as opposed to a restaurant. So I sell food, and one line of products that I make is from scratch for particular customers that are based on my grandmother's cherished family recipes. My dearly departed grandmother was clear that she only wanted to provide this kind of nourishment for people who share our same religious heritage. So I call these products Grandma Helen's Protestant Provisions. And I sit with each customer who comes in, and I hear about their faith and their family, and I customize the recipe for them after having this discussion. So the food is not expressive, right? I'm not speaking in my food. But I am trying to convey that only certain people um, get to partake in this product. Can I do that consistent with the First Amendment or not? No, and and in the situation, as you said, in terms of a caterer, the caterer is not engaging in speech. In terms of your initial statements or questions, speech is speech, whether it's paid or pro bono. But but don't we have cases that suggest that people's conduct can be expressive? I thought there was a whole line of cases that said you didn't have to actually have an express message. You could be acting in such a way as to express a message. And in my restaurant hypo, I'm saying if I sell to non-Protestants, I'd be expressing a message contrary to Grandma Helen's core beliefs. You're speaking through conduct at that point, and that is a different analysis. In terms of the expressive conduct test, the court has already articulated what those tests are and what a reasonable person would observe. But in that case, you're talking essentially about status discrimination. There's no message um, that she is creating that would be compelled in that way. That would simply be service. In addition, though, I think it's important to recognize the breadth of the public accommodation law. You started with a statement about freelance writers. At oral argument at the Tenth Circuit, my friend in Colorado admitted that freelance writers are um, considered to be public accommodations under the law. All right, well, I'll ask them about that, but what about my photographer? My photographer is speaking through photography, yes? In in your photography, yes, photography is speech, is speech. just as websites are under the court's decision. All right, so my photographer could is speaking by by being forced to create a Santa photo with um, minority children in it that they don't want to. They don't think that should be there. The issue in that hypothetical isn't whether there is speech. The issue is. In that context, are they otherwise serving those and expressing other messages? And does the objection that they're asserting line up with the message? The court in Hurley did the exact same analysis to say, is the parade organizers otherwise... But Hurley was a private association. It wasn't a public business. What I'm asking you is I have a public business. I'm a photographer. My belief is that, you know, uh, I'm doing It's a Wonderful Life scenes. That's what I'm offering. Okay, I want to do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well. I want to be authentic, and so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll give to everybody else, I'll sell them anything they want, just not the It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Um, I'm expressing something, right, for your purposes, that's speech. 
What about, uh, what's the other step? It's speech, and I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell the It's a Wonderful Life package to uh, non-white individuals. In the same way, I would say, first of all, in the same way that this court, when there is a message and a status and it's overlapping, the court would say that message wins in that instance. So I don't so, think that so the I message, don't have to sell it to what? I don't think that that message is in that hypothetical, but take the example of the musical of Hamilton. There's a direct overlap in the musical of Hamilton, and in that case, we know that they're expressing a preference for who they're hiring in terms of race. No, I'm not we talking about that. You're sort of slipping into it like a thousand different analogies. I just want, I just want you to focus on whether or not I am... Uh, I have speech when I'm a photography business and I hang out my shingle, everybody can come, but I have certain products that I'll only sell to, non, uh, to, to white individuals because the speech that I'm trying to depict is the authentic depiction of that scene as I understand it and that I want uh, to put out there in the world. And it has my signature on the bottom of it, so people are seeing my photos and I want my photos of It's a Wonderful Life to be as authentic as possible, meaning no people of color. It seems in each iteration of the hypothetical, the objection is changing. What I can articulate is the test, and I can also say that when there is an overlap between message and status, message does win, and Hamilton provides an example of that. All right, thank I, you. I would. Thank you, counsel. Mr. Olson? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the central dispute here is what public accommodations law target when they require a business to provide equal access to its services. The company claims that because it wants to sell websites, the law somehow targets expression and therefore violates the First Amendment. But because Colorado law targets the commercial conduct of discriminatory sales, and its effect on expression is at most incidental. It easily satisfies the framework set out in O'Brien. The company can choose to sell websites that only feature biblical quotes describing a marriage as between a man and a woman, just like a Christmas store can choose to sell only Christmas-related items. The company just cannot refuse to serve gay couples, as it seeks to do here, just as the Christmas store cannot announce, no Jews allowed. Here, the company seeks a pre-enforcement order, allowing it to turn away all gay couples, even if, as we've discussed, the wedding website they request is identical to one the company would sell to a heterosexual couple. Granting such a license to discriminate would empower all businesses that offer what they believe to be expressive services, from architects to photographers to consultants, to refuse service to customers because of their disability, sexual orientation, religion, or race. The free speech clause exemption the company seeks here is sweeping because it would apply not just to sincerely held religious beliefs like those of the company and its owner, but also to all sorts of racist, sexist, and bigoted views. This rule would allow another web design company to say no interracial couple served. An ad agency could refuse women-led businesses. And a tech consulting company could refuse to serve 303 Creative itself because it disagreed with the owner's religion. This court should not upend long-settled law that protects the full and equal access of all Americans to our public marketplace. 
I welcome the court's questions. Uh, counsel, you have uh, uh, spent uh, quite a bit of your brief talking about the, his- the tradition of uh, public accommodations laws. Uh, would you just spend a few minutes uh, or whatever amount of time you can explaining uh, whether there is a similarly long tradition of public accommodations laws applying to uh, speech well, or expressive conduct? Well, 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 certainly, Justice Thomas, the history of public accommodation laws shows that when those held themselves open to the public, they were required to I serve everybody. I understand that. I understand. It, it, the complicating factor here, the fact here is this is not a hotel. This is not a restaurant. This is not a riverboat or a train. Uh, I'm interested in the intersection of public accommodations law and speech. I think we see some public accommodation law being applied to examples that are speech today, tailors, barbers, etc. But what we don't see over the long history of public accommodation laws in this country is people raising First Amendment speech objections to those laws applying to it. Well, I think that in part depends upon whether or not you're engaging in speech. Uh, If you're running a train uh, business or a riverboat business, that's not exactly, doesn't implicate speech. So those are straightforward. I understand that. What I'm interested in is when you are talking about public accommodations laws directly or indirectly regulating speech, is there a tradition of that? Can you point to cases? Can you point to uh, common law uh, uh, treatises, etc.? So I think that the historical record is sparse on both sides, but the two things I would say, Justice Thomas, is what we don't see is a history of public accommodation laws carving out speech. They all are laws of general applicability that apply to all those operating a trade to the public. They don't say, except those engaged in expressive conduct. And with that framework, we do not see a history of cases where people raise their hand and said, it shouldn't apply to me because I'm speaking. And so I think the public accommodations brief uh, on our side in this case sets that out quite nicely. But, but there is no uh, case from 150 years ago that comes out either way with this exact issue. Mr. Olson, well, just, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Chief. Not- not 150 years ago, but I think it's well, 10 or, or 12 years ago in uh, City of Fulton, which you cite in your brief. It, it sort of follows up on Justice Thomas's question, although you don't even get to speech. I think the court in that case said, uh, when you're looking at some of the concerns that you're talking about, that a uh, individualized, uh, subjective, multi-factor whatever determination in that case, foster care uh, and, and adoption. It's not the same as a seat on the bus or a room in the hotel. Uh, how, how does your argument fit with that uh, position that was articulated in the court with respect to the nature of individual speakers' message? Well, I think those questions are not presented in this case because most artists are not public accommodations, but my friend stipulated that the company was a public accommodation, and often a lot of the hypotheticals that we've been talking about, about artists and, and certainly Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is writing the play Hamilton, I, in is terms not a of In terms of the uh, concern expressed in a lot of our cases uh, about uh, uh, compelled speech and the distinction of others where you can have a requirement of uh, uh, serving people without regard to uh, certain characteristics. 
the case did make the point that to the extent there's um, uh, subjective, uh, individualized determinations that go into the decision about placing uh, children, uh, that it did not, that those cases were not, at least not directly applicable. That's correct, uh, Chief Justice Roberts. And I think here, um, again, the record is entirely devoid of those factors because the company chose to litigate this case as a public accommodation. I think a lot of the description that we heard today would be powerful arguments that they may not be a public accommodation uh, in what they do, but we simply don't have those facts here. But certainly the level of selectivity, uh, uh, the the way in which the, the potential customer engages with the, the client, I'm sorry, with the service provider, and how the service provider makes their uh, product available or, or known to the public, all factor in that analysis. And yeah, I'd like to ask you a question about one other case. It's the one you rely on most heavily in your brief, Rumsfeld against mm-hmm. FAIR. And it seems to me that a distinction you have to deal with in that case is that the speech there uh, was not compelled, or what was compelled uh, when, was not considered speech. Uh, uh, it, it involved the schools providing uh, rooms for the military recruiter. And when it came to the question of compelled speech, what the court said is empty rooms don't speak. Um, uh, but here, of course, the whole argument is that the speech is being compelled. So, so how does the either holding or analysis in FAIR help you? Two uh, responses, Chief Justice. First is, in fair, recognize that there was some speech by the schools. There were emails, uh, um, posters on bulletin boards, etc. So there was some speech, but it said it was incidental, like in O'Brien, to the purpose of the regulation, which was ensuring equal access, similar to Colorado's law here. Um, and, and the second point uh, I would make, and it comes from the, the example of the identical website being turned away for the same-sex couple but provided to the opposite-sex couple, here sometimes the speech itself does not change. And what this company seeks, if you look at uh, – the, the uh, specific prayer for relief in the complaint is a total permission to turn away every same-sex couple, even if they seek exactly the same website that an, an opposite-sex couple that they well, just provide. Well, just to stop you, their uh, point is they do not turn away same-sex couples who want the service that they're providing. They just won't provide that service with respect to a particular type of wedding. I respectfully disagree, Your Honor. What the company said is under no circumstances will they uh, provide a wedding website for a same-sex wedding, period. Correct. Right. And and that is status-based discrimination. When, and it doesn't matter whose credit card is used for that transaction. What, what the, the sole basis that the company seeks relief from this court is they would like an injunction that says so long as – if this is going to be used for a same-sex wedding, then we need not provide it. And, and, and so it's a status-based discrimination that they seek from this court. Let me un- see if I understand um, your argument. I understand you to be arguing that a website designer can put anything it wants on a standardized website, even if that includes a denunciation of same-sex marriage. Is that correct? Yes. So if, uh, to pick up on Justice Kagan's uh, hypothetical from 
earlier this morning, if the standard announcement is made with love by Amber, who believes that a valid marriage is a union between one man and one woman, that's okay. If that's on every website, yes. I mean, this is — your argument is — you're making kind of a sliver of an argument, right? What is the difference between that and what you think is a violation of your law? Two things, Justice Alito. I mean, you're not — that website designer is not going to be serving a same-sex couple if the website designer puts that on the website. They're turning away same-sex couples by doing that, are they not? They're they're not turning away same-sex couples. They are defining their — they are able to choose what services they offer, and that is the service they're choosing to offer. The state does not regulate that at all. All that the state says is whatever — you choose to sell. No, I understand that. Does it make, make any difference in the real world as well, a practical matter? It, it does in the real world because a, a uh, my second point is that a website designer like that will lose a lot of uh, opposite-sex couples as potential clients as well because they don't want to be seen with that message. And what the company wants to do here is take advantage of the public marketplace, of go out and sell their wares to everyone and have control over and change what they sell to different people based on the status of what they have. Okay. And, to, and, yeah, I understand that. So to sell to everyone. So this goes to, your, to the interpretation of your statute, and I'm not quite clear what your position is on it. Uh, if a business provides a service that is, quote, open to the public, it's a public accommodation, right? Yeah. You have to engage in sales or offering services to the public, yes. Okay. So what does open to the public mean? Does that mean no selectivity whatsoever? Anybody who wants this service can get it, and it may be if there's uh, a greater demand, then uh, the demand exceeds the supply, you've got to wait in line. But if there's any selectivity at all, they're out. Well, again, it's not presented in this case. The way that Colorado has historically addressed that question is are, say, golf clubs who had limited their uh, membership to one gender, you know, did they make money from public coming to their courses? Did they, did you have to be a member to dine in the restaurant, et cetera? So selectivity, as the court discussed in Fulton, certainly is a factor, but it, but it, it is a, a fact-specific determination that, that awaits uh, more facts than we have here because again, Well, you should understand what your statute means. So if, yeah. suppose a website designer says, um, I'm, I'm offering my services, but um, uh, I'm really in, uh, I, I'm in um, a lot of demand for my services, and um, I reserve the right to decide who I will provide a website for and who I will not. Is it a public accommodation then? If that's the only factor, then uh, yes, but it can make decisions about who to supply that, that aren't based on protected characteristic and choose its clientele just fine. What it can't do is say, uh, I reserve the right to refuse service, which means, in practice, I will not serve black people. And isn't the pro- part of the problem here in terms of trying to answer Justice Alito's various hypotheticals that were presented with a record of stipulated facts and that the uh, opposed the, uh, your friend on the other side actually stipulated to the application of the statute? So it's really hard for us to know and figure out and determine in this context how the statute would actually apply because we don't really have a real record on that on that score. That's correct. And, and I would say that uh, we've heard some discussion from my friend about sort of Colorado's history, but what we haven't heard 
is any specific example since this court announced masterpiece of Colorado enforcing this law, the state enforcing this law against anyone. Well, my question really was not whether this website is a public accommodation. I understand that's been stipulated. That wasn't my question. What I'm trying to understand is uh, the breadth of your argument. And what I get is that you're making a a, a tiny sliver of an argument. So the website can put anything on its website, uh, even something that will blatantly or subtly tell a same-sex couple, well, this is not a service that I want. They can do that. And the website can also potentially get itself out from being a public accommodation simply by reserving a degree of selectivity. That's what you've told me. No, I I don't think it's just by reserving a degree degree of selectivity, but I think the more selective and sort of curated the process is, it makes it less likely to be a, a public accommodation, as the Court recognized in, in Fulton. All right. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, uh, and then I'll uh, finish this line, um, uh, some hypotheticals in a brief submitted by Josh Blackman. Uh, okay. A, uh, a Jewish man and a Jewish woman who were engaged to be married ask a Jewish website designer to build a website to celebrate their upcoming their nuptials. No problem. Okay. Another Jewish man and a Christian woman who were engaged to be married ask a Jewish website designer to build a website to celebrate their their nuptials. Big problem. Quote, many Jews consider intermarriage an existential threat to the future of Judaism. Does that website have to accept the second uh, couple? Again, as we talked about before, if the Jewish website designer uh, has you know, very explicitly Jewish themes on the, the wedding. They don't need to re- on the website. They don't need to take that down for the the, the, the inner religious couple that comes. But they, if they offer a general service to the public, they need to offer that regardless of the customer's religion. So the fact that they offer this to that this is a Jewish. Uh, that, that is offered mostly to Jews, that's enough to make it, or exclusively to Jews, that's enough to make it uh, sufficiently selective to get them out from your... No, I, I'm drawing a distinction between what the website designer chooses to put on the website and who the website designer sells the website to. The website designer can choose to put on the, their websites whatever they want, but they just can't refuse to sell, if they're a public accommodation, uh, they can't refuse to sell that website to someone solely because of their customers or the couple's religion. Okay, an unmarried Jewish person asks a Jewish photographer to take a photograph for his J-date dating profile. Uh, is it a dating service, I gather, for Jewish people? It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe Justice Kagan will also be familiar with the next website I'm going to mention. So next to Jewish person asks a Jewish photographer to take a photograph for his AshleyMadison.com <laughs> dating profile. I'm not suggesting that. I mean, she knows a lot of things. I'm not suggesting <laughs> Okay. Does he have to do it? Well, again, it would, it would what Colorado looks, it depends. It, it, what Colorado looks to is what services the photographer makes available to the public. And if, if the photographer makes that service available to, to others taking pictures, uh, you know, for use on websites, then probably yes. But it, it depends on... Okay, Justice, uh, then I really will stop. <laughs> Just, Justice Jackson's example of the, the Santa in the mall who uh, doesn't want his picture taken with black children. So if 
there's a, a black Santa at the other end of the mall, and he doesn't want uh, to have his picture taken with a, a child who's dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit. That, that black Santa has to do that? No, because Ku Klux Klan outfits are not protected characteristics under public accommodation laws. And presumably that would be the same Ku Klux Klan outfit, regardless whether the child was black or white or any other characteristic. Yeah, you, do see, you do see a lot of black children in Ku Klux Klan uh, outfits, right, uh, all, the, all the time. Suppose that, uh, I, I mean... Uh, <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I... Yeah. Yeah, is that all right? Sure. Um, uh, I have one, I, th- I hope, easy f- question for you, and then a more difficult question. So... Um, as I understand your argument, the kind of you can say anything you want as long as you say it to everybody, um, or not say anything you want as long as you don't say it to anybody. So gay couple walks in to um, Ms. Smith's office and says, we want a quote from Obergefell. And she says, I don't do that. That's okay with you, yes? Yes. Because she doesn't do it for anybody. Yeah? Correct. Okay. Gay couple walks in and says, uh, this is the harder one, all right? Um, Gay couple walks in and says, uh, I'd like the standard website, you know, everything's standard, the kind of website we were talking about before, but I want something in addition to that. Um, I want want on the home page the uh, website to say, God blesses this union, all right? And um, Ms. Smith says, uh, what, 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 uh, that's a problem, Ms. Smith says. And the gay couple says, well, you would say that if, if uh, we were an opposite-sex couple, right? And, um, and she says, we, I would say that if you were an opposite-sex couple. And the gay couple says, well, what's the big deal then? Um, I don't know. I think that that kind of is different. So I'm wondering whether you think it's different. Well, I think it's different in part because it implicates the very compelling free exercise concerns of the vendor, which aren't present in this case, right? This is just a yeah, possible. I get the I get the idea that there's a kind of religious element to it, um, and I wish I could think of one that didn't have that component because I feel like there's something else going on there as well. That it is a <laughs> statement of opinion about the nature of this marriage. Which, you know, in my earlier hypotheticals, I took care to remove. But now there's a kind of statement of opinion about the nature of this marriage. And unlike the kind of our story things, which is like, obviously, it's their story. It's not the designer's story. You know, unlike that, it feels a little bit to me as though it could be a kind of third person saying God blesses this union. And who would the third person be other than the person who's put the whole websites together. So I have difficulty with that hypothetical, and I'm wondering what you think about it. So I agree, Justice Kagan. And I think, imagine a statement that says something along the lines of, you know, uh, there's a dating website that meets people, and then the people that they connect through that says, you know, this is a wonderful marriage that we support. Um, uh, no religion, right? And, and then where you have that direct speech, uh, it does get a little trickier. But but I, but I, what I would say is, this is you know the default rule would still apply, even though that is an edge case. I agree because the question is, what services does the company choose to provide? And if it chooses to provide that service uh, to some, now here it's you know 
it may be that, that looking at the service is, well, I evaluate your marriage and I give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And, you know, I assume you don't want the thumbs down on the website. So if you get a thumbs up, you get on the website. So that's a fact question, I think, that would be hard. Um, but if it was a statement that was made solely based on the status of the person seeking the website, in other words, it, thumbs up for all opposite sex couples, thumbs down for, for same sex couples, then it's an easier, easier question. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, counsel. Uh, Justice Thomas, anything further? Justice Alito? Well, um, back to my Black Santa example. Uh, suppose it's a state that uh, defines uh, a, a public accommodate, prohibits a public accommodation to discriminate on the basis of political ideology. So then, the, then the, the picture has to be taken. I, I, I think uh, that is likely those political ideology distinctions face much more difficult constitutional scrutiny, and, and I think are, are separate in kind from the kind of uh, characteristics that we're talking about here, which are categories of invidious discrimination. I, I candidly think, in most circumstances, political ideology uh, did not satisfy uh, the constitutional requirements. So it has to satisfy a constitutional requirement. Your argument is dependent on that. Yes, because even under O'Brien, there's, there's, uh, we have to show a basis for what we're doing. Uh, in light of what Justice Kennedy wrote in Obergefell about uh, honorable people who object to same-sex marriage, do you think it's fair to equate opposition to same-sex marriage with opposition to interracial marriage? Yes, because. Uh, in how the law applies, not in in d- d- discussion uh, with folks, because of course honorable people have different views on this issue. But I think when you look at what Justice Kennedy said uh, there, the way to honor that requirement is, as this court has set forth in Fulton, in Masterpiece, of having a rigorous interrogation to make sure that there are uh, neutral and generally applicable laws applied, in fact, that way, that don't single out religion. And then the very next sentence of what Justice uh, Kennedy said in Obergefell talked about when when it transformed that honest uh, and decent disagreement transformed uh, into enacted law and policy, the necessary consequence is to put the imprimatur of the state on that exclusion. And I think if this court were to say that the imprimatur of this court would allow a web designer to say no same-sex people allowed or allow a school photographer to say uh, you know, no pictures well, of — Do you think Justice Kennedy would have said that uh, there are — that it's honorable to oppose — to discriminate on the basis of race? No, I don't think so. Let me just give you one, one more hypothetical. Suppose — someone offers the service of writing customized wedding vows uh, or uh, customized speeches to be given at a wedding by people who have an idea what they would like to say about a family member or a good friend, but they just don't feel they're very good with words. They can't put it into words. And let's say this, this outfit is just starting up. They don't have a lot of clients. They're sitting at that, you know, they're sitting by the phone and their computer waiting for somebody to show up. So they will take anybody. All right. Um, can, uh, can they be forced to write uh, vows or speeches that espouse things they loathe? No, they cannot be forced to, to write vows or speeches that espouse things they loathe because that's not a protective characteristic, but they cannot 
I assume in your example. Well, uh, uh, is, is, uh, is the prohibition or the limitation against compelled speech limited to things that are unconstitutional? No, I think, I think there are. So why does it matter? Well, because here, um, things they lose is not a protected characteristic in, in, anywhere, I know, anywhere that I know of, but on the constitutional Okay, it doesn't limit, fall within. Doesn't you, say, you say it doesn't fall within your statute, but maybe it's going to fall within the statute. It may fall within another statute. Under, under any level of scrutiny here, you look at the state's compelling interest in, in, in determining the, the, bur- the, the, the incidental burden on, uh, the, in our example, the, the vowel writer's rights. And, and I don't know of any state that has sort of a compelled, uh, has the same compelling interest as they, as they do for you know, protecting things that other people loathe as they do for uh, sex, gender, religion, discrimination. So I, I think it would be a different analysis. Justice Sotomayor? This would be the first time in the court's history, correct, that it would say that a business open to the public, as this petitioner has said it is, that it's open, a commercial business open to the public, serving the public, that it could refuse to serve a customer based on race, sex, religion, uh, or sexual orientation, correct? Yes. King? Justice Gorsuch? Good morning, Mr. Olson. Is it still morning? <laughs> uh, just barely. <laughs> I must not feel like it's standing where you are. I'm here all day, Justice. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, We've had some discussion about whether websites are speech or whether they are a service off the shelf. And I, 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 like a lot of my colleagues, don't profess to know much about this. But I do know that there are some stipulations that you made in paragraphs 81, 82, 83, which say that this is customized personalized, an expressive activity in each and every circumstance. What do we do about that from your perspective? Don't we have to take that as given? Yes, but it doesn't change the analysis, I think. Why not? Because I do see a a thing very different if I put a cake on display, it's been made, it is what it is, or a website that you can then go customize yourself, and another thing to commission an expressive activity, and and to require somebody to create an expression. Those are two different things, analytically in our law. So help me out. Well, I I think along the stipulations, we need to look at the specific relief that the company seeks. But those are the stipulations. They are the stipulations. And the specific relief that the company seeks is the ability to turn away every single same-sex customer. Well, they can ask for what they want. What they get might be another thing, Mr. Olson. Uh, But how we analyze the case depends upon those stipulations. Of course it does. Okay. Okay. And then um, separately, um, I I was intrigued by your answer before my friends at the Tenth Circuit about freelance writers and people like that and the notion that Colorado could compel, for example, an individual to write a speech or a press release on behalf of, say, a religious entity with whom he or she disagrees. Does every press release writer, freelance writer, have to write a press release for the Church of Scientology, say, even though the beliefs of that institution may be inimical to the person? 
not at all, and, and I admit I don't have firmly in mind the exact contours of my answer a couple of years ago to the Tenth Circuit, but I will tell you what Colorado law says, which is you, a freelance writer may or may not be a public accountant. Well, let's, let's assume they, they are, be, okay. under your definition, pretty broad, very different than the historical understanding of public accommodation, but we've gone over that. So, so assuming away that hard part of the question, um, getting to, to what limitations, all that Colorado law requires is that if you choose to offer a service to someone, you need to offer that service to, to I offer to else. write press releases for anyone. It's not a who, but it is a what. And the what is I won't write a press release that expresses religious views or um, that I disagree with. Well, I think certainly a, a, a freelance writer who is a public accommodation could say, I don't write press releases that express religious views, full stop. I won't write that for anybody. Right? You, you can no, no, no. I'm, I'm happy to do it, generally speaking, but just not ones I disagree with. There are many I would agree with across a wide variety of religious faiths. Um, but I'm not going to do it for some with whom I disagree. Well, well, even in that circumstance, what Colorado looks to is the service you actually provide, and you choose the service so long as you could say— So the answer is yes, Colorado would compel that person. No, the answer is no. Okay, why? Because Colorado could say, you as a a speech writer could say, I write, uh, uh, you know— the religious speeches that I write touch on a few traditions that I have knowledge of, and I don't write speeches that touch on other knowledges. Well, but no, no, no. It's not, not a, you're changing my hypothetical, well, Mr. Well, Wilson, okay. that I disagree with, that, okay. that I find offensive to my religious beliefs. That's the hypothetical. So long as you would sell that to everyone, not based on their religion, but you can define the contours of the product. You can choose the contours of the product that you sell. But I'll call you, it, I'd call it speech, but you can call it a product if you well, want. <laughs> We'll call it speech. Uh, you, you can choose the content uh, of what you sell. You just can't what choose you say. who you sell to. Okay. Right? And so you could say, I'm going I'm to focus on these things, and, uh, but I need to sell that to everyone, even if the person who wants to buy it is a member of a religious faith that I disagree with. That, so that's I, will, fine. I will write a press release for many faiths and many belief systems, that are cons- but they have to be consistent with mine, and I won't do it if, if it offends my religious faith. Good to go. So long as you sell that to everybody. Yes. Okay. All right. What's different about this case? Because, I'll just finish the question. I'm already ready to answer it. But we have an individual who says she will sell and does sell to everyone. All manner of websites. But she won't sell a website that requires her to express a view about marriage that she finds offensive to her religious beliefs. What's the difference between the two cases I'm struggling to understand? The difference is, and again, looking at the specific relief the company seeks. Put aside the specific relief the company seeks because it's up to courts to fashion relief. So that's that's not going to persuade me. Work on something that might. The difference is is that that distinction, the the company has chosen to say they want to provide wedding websites generally, and they will not provide— All manner of websites. They, well, the, 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 this individual will provide all manner of websites, just not one that celebrates, requires her to write something, words on a page, customizable, all the stuff you stipulated to, um, that celebrate a particular thing that she finds offends her religious beliefs. I, I still, I'm, I'm looking for the distinction between the two cases. One you say is okay, the other one not okay. Because the company, unlike our first example of the, the speechwriter, yeah. 
the company here says, in no uncertain terms, will they ever sell a company, a, a, a product or a service to a same-sex couple? No, what websites. they say is we will not sell to anyone, anyone, a, a message that I disagree with as a matter of religious faith, just as a speechwriter says, or the press release writer, the freelance writer says, I will not sell to anyone a speech that offends my religious beliefs. But here they are defining their service by excluding someone based on that, their... That's their religious belief. Well, in Colorado, you can't change their religious belief, right? No, but... but well, to, and you protect religious beliefs under the statute, Right. That is one of the protected characteristics yes. in theory. And in practice. If it wasn't in practice, we had heard about it over, over the past several years, and, and my friend has pointed to no example where this has been applied. Mr. Phillips did go through a re-education training program pursuant to Colorado law, did he not, Mr. Olson? He went through a, a process that ensured he was familiar it with... It was a re-education the, program, right? It was not a re-education program. What do you Mr. call it? It was a process to make sure he was familiar with Colorado law. Someone might be excused for calling that a re-education I strongly program. disagree, Justice Gorsuch. Thank you, Mr. Olson. Justice Kavanaugh? Uh, I'm interested in picking up on those questions and, and what Colorado's position on the First Amendment could lead to, not what you would do based on your representation, but what your theory of the First Amendment could lead to, and thinking about the proper analogy to a website designer. So uh, I've been thinking about a publishing house that says we're not going to publish, uh, we support pro-choice uh, positions, we're not going to publish books uh, that support pro-life uh, uh, position, uh, or that we support uh, same-sex marriage and we're not going to publish books that take a different position on same-sex marriage. Does the publishing house have a First Amendment ability to select the kinds of books that it will publish along the lines of my hypotheticals there? Of course it does, and I think a publishing house is not a public accommodation for precisely the level of selectivity and choice that it goes into, just like the court recognized in Fulton. Right, but if it were a public accommodation, it would still have a First Amendment right, correct? Yes. Sure about that? (laughs) Yes, because what... All the public accommodation law says is you can't uh, uh, turn someone away because of who they are. And, and it would be different if your hypothetical was they will not publish gay authors. If, if they were, if they were a, a publishing house, right. they, they will That's publish. the distinction right there. Yes. You put your finger on it, I think. So what the website designer is different from the publishing house, how? Because... The website designer is refusing to, to publish gay authors, using the publishing house example. They are saying, I will not provide this service to someone because of who they are, period. They say it's because of the message. I, I understand, but they define the service in a way that excludes people based on who they are, and that violates Colorado law. And to the extent there's some uh, incidental impact on their message, it's the kind of incidental impact that this court held in O'Brien is to be appropriate, where a law is focused on conduct and not the, the message itself. And I thought the amicus brief of uh, prof- uh, professors Carpenter and Volokh was fairly interesting. They supported the same-sex uh, uh, position uh, in... Um, uh, masterpiece 
but that they say they're on the opposite side in this case, and they say that the reason is uh, because this case involves speech. Uh, they say a website designer is unlike a baker, uh, and that Hurley, therefore, is the key precedent here. And they say there is no serious question, their words, no serious question that this case involves compelled speech. Do you agree it involves compelled speech? No. Okay. Even though they say there's no serious question that it does. You disagree with that? We disagree with that. Thank you. Justice Barrett? How can you disagree with that in light of the stipulations that Justice Gorsuch reviewed with you? Because if it's speech, you know, as the stipulations Justice Gorsuch read did, and she has to say it, why isn't it compelled speech? Because on the stipulations and, and where we are here, the company would refuse to provide the same identical speech to a customer solely because of who they are. And if the company is going is to provide speech, already said they're going to do it, the website, I think it was the, the colloquy w- with Your Honor, Justice Barrett, where someone comes in and says, I want the exact same website as you gave to my friends, and the company says, no, I will not provide that to you, and the only reason is because of who, who you are, that's not compelled speech. Certainly there are some circumstances where there may be uh, uh, more of this you know, tell the story, et cetera, but the company can choose to determine the services that it wants. Here it is chosen to say that I will not provide the exact same website for one couple that I would for another solely based on the identity of the couple. Okay. I want to give you a hypothetical that doesn't rely on disagreement, philosophical or otherwise, with speech, but just a desire to promote a different kind of speech. So let's say a newspaper is running, as many newspapers do, runs marriage announcements. And so, you know, the New York Times says that such announcements, which it picks, have to satisfy its normal editorial standards. Let's to say that the newspaper for Gay Pride Month decides that it's going to run to promote and recognize same-sex marriage, only same-sex marriage announcements. Turns away heterosexual announcements not because it disparages or disagrees with opposite-sex unions, but because it's trying to promote something else. Can it do that? That's a protected characteristic under the law. Well, that's a hard hypothetical uh, because normally the marriage announcements are considered to be a public accommodation, but your hypothetical introduces a layer of editorial discretion. uh, Well, you can't run every marriage announcement that comes. There would be too many. So you're necessarily going to pick and choose, just like every business is going to have to pick and choose based on resources. Well, and I think, but in that circumstances, if the sole basis for picking and choosing is a protected characteristic, the New York Times couldn't say uh, that we're going to have this month, we're just going to run opposite-sex weddings. Next month, we're just going to run white people weddings next month we're just going to so run. So for Gay Pride Month, a newspaper can't choose to try to celebrate that and communicate a message by running only gay marriage announcements. Well, again, I think the answer is no, but that's an unusual case because a newspaper obviously typically has great discretion. Well, it might be an unusual case, but the problem and, and what a lot of the hypotheticals are getting at is however we decide this case obviously applies to others. And what if we say it's not the New York Times, but what if we say that it's a gay rights group that wants to publish gay rights announcements online all year round, not just for Gay Pride Month, because it wants to celebrate love in that community. And so it publishes only same-sex marriage announcements and turns away opposite sex. Can the gay rights organization do that? 
Right. I think there that's very unlikely to be a public accommodation, so the answer is likely yes. Well, they're paid. Why? I mean, they're paid. I mean, they they, they craft these for — and it's a business, it's a commercial enterprise, but they craft these announcements for the gay community. I guess who crafts the announcement? I thought so it was it's a it's a it's a it's a gay rights enterprise. It's a it's a group run by you know people who are interested in promoting gay rights, and it's a forum to celebrate gay marriage. They charge you make money, and you run marriage announcements that have our story, etc. But it's done specifically to celebrate love in that community. Can they turn away opposite sex? So marriage announcements. In this unusual hypothetical, assuming they're public accommodation, they cannot turn away announcements based on a protected characteristic. So they couldn't turn around, turn away opposite-sex announcements or interracial uh, marriages, I, I think, if they're a public accommodation. But I think... The so they can be compelled to... It's not, it's not that they have anything against opposite-sex unions, but they can be compelled to give their, you know, web space to those... Um, to those announcements, even though it's not consistent with the message of their organization. Again, assuming they are a public accommodation and opening themselves yes, to the public. Assuming they're yes, assuming they are public they, accommodation. Yes, they, they, they can be do that. But I think what makes the hypothetical difficult is that that assumption likely does does not apply to most organizations like that. Uh, but that it seems like you can't get out of everything by defining public accommodation narrowly or broadly, depending on it. I mean, you agree that in Hurley, the parade was a public accommodation, as we held. Because Hurley is your hardest case, right? It's a difficult case, but it, it, but we are different than Hurley, and I'm happy to talk about why. Uh, but the public accommodation law was applied to the parade in, in Hurley, and the court said that was because of the peculiar circumstances there. It, it was inappropriate. But importantly, in Hurley, everyone could march in the parade. The only issue was who could carry the banner in the parade. And in this case, people can't march in the parade. The, the company is turning away people for their products based solely on who they are. And that's the big difference from here and Hurley. Thank you. Justice Jackson? Yes. Um, so I just wanted to say how perplexed I was about the questions that seem to distinguish um, this kind of um, sexual orientation refusal uh, to provide services from the race discrimination. And there were some questions raised about, you know, religion uh, being the basis. But I, I guess, and, and you might be able to help me with this, and you might not. But I I was fairly certain that historically, opposition to interracial marriages and to integration in many instances was on religious grounds. So I don't know that we can say that just because um, we have a religious objection to uh, same-sex marriage in this situation, that wouldn't necessarily implicate religious objections to other kinds of situations. Am I right about that? Absolutely correct about that. I mean, Bob Jones University is a good example of that case where there was a All religious right, so, basis. So whatever we decide here, as Justice uh, Barrett suggested, could have implications for other kinds of categorizations and First Amendment, um, strongly religious-held First Amendment um, uh, invocations of rights. Absolutely. And I think the, the reason my friend was having such difficulty giving clear answers to some of these hard questions was because there is no way to cabin this to uh, under the free speech clause uh, exemption they seek uh, just to weddings or sexual orientation. All right. So can I just um, direct your attention back to Justice Kagan's question? Because I think she she made good points about, um, you know, the God bless this union hypothetical. And I guess I was thinking, um, isn't part of the problem trying to figure out whose statement of opinion it is 
when you have a public accommodation, when you have an artist for hire, right? Ordinarily, you would have an artist who, even though they're making custom, you know, things, they're making custom things based on their own views and opinions, and this is my art. But when you have an artist for hire and people come to them and say, here's what I'd like you to make, there's a question about whether what they make is their statement or the customer's statement. So if it was clear that it was not their statement, let's say the gay couple comes and they say, we want God bless this union on our website, and the web designer says, that's fine, but you understand under our name at the bottom, we say on every website, we believe that marriage is only between one man and one woman, and we're going to put that on your website. Justice Lito says maybe that person will walk away, and maybe they will. But the point is, um, if they do that in every situation, and it's clear that it's not their statement, then do we solve the, 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 the difficult Justice Kagan problem of like who's, who's making an expression here? I think we, we make progress towards solving it. And I think back to the stipulations, I think it's notable that the stipulations here do not address that question that you raised, Justice Jackson. What the company says is, well, every website has designed by 303 Creative at the bottom. That's paragraph 83 of the stipulations. And then they say, and if a viewer of a wedding website goes to 303 Creative, then they will understand our philosophy, our our own website, then they will understand our philosophy and understand that there's some implicit, you know, recognition or endorsement, whatever, uh, of the wedding. But on the stipulated facts here, the question you pose is totally wide open. There's no... uh, uh, evidence in the record whatsoever and no websites in the record uh, to look at to see whether anyone would attribute the speech about the couple on the wedding website to uh, the designer as opposed to the couple. Should we have that as part of our standard in the holding? Like, let's say we we don't want to go as far as you're suggesting, perhaps, with the holding in this case. Could it it be that we would say, um, you know, the First Amendment protects the web designer's abilities to, um, you know, um, not uh, have this kind of uh, a, a same-sex wedding website only if it would be clear from an, you know, a, a neutral observer or from the audience that having that website is their own expression. So two things to say on that, Your Honor. First is, I think both Spence and Hurley itself talked about the importance of how an onlooker would look at the message and, and who the onlooker would attribute the message to. So I think certainly could, could, could build uh, on that. And again, here, uh, there's no evidence whatsoever that, that anyone would look at a wedding website of designed by 303 Creative and say, oh, that is... Uh, you know, the, the speech and beliefs of the designer as opposed to the couple getting married. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Mr. Fletcher. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Uh, my friend Ms. Wagoner offered a two-part test this morning for when a commercial business is entitled to an exemption from a generally applicable public accommodations law. She said, number one, is their product speech? And number two, does serving a particular customer change the message in the view of the business? Now, as the questions today have already explored, that leads to extremely sweeping results. It means that any provider of expressive services is entitled to put up a sign saying, we do not serve people with particular characteristics whenever they believe that serving those people would change their message. 
What I want to begin with today is to explain why that way of approaching the problem is also inconsistent with this Court's cases, most notably Rumsfeld versus Fair, which you mentioned, Mr. Chief Justice. That case was not just about access to the law school's rooms. The law schools had a separate claim that said, we provide other services to recruiters in the form of emails, newsletters, other things of that nature. And this Court did not disagree. It said those things are clearly speech. And the law schools also said, when we are required to provide those services to the military, it changes our message because it forces us to support a cause we deeply oppose. And this Court did not disagree. Instead, it said that compulsion of speech is permissible because it is incidental to a content-neutral regulation of conduct, and the law schools are required to speak only if and to the extent they would provide the same speech for others. I welcome the Court's questions. Uh, I do think uh, the Court in in Rumsfeld uh, was dealing with the sort of compulsion uh, that is significantly different from the compulsion here. Um, uh, In what other case have we upheld uh, compelling speech? In other words, not simply just restricting speech, but actually compelling uh, uh, an individual to engage in speech contrary to her beliefs. So I think, Mr. Chief Justice, Rumsfeld really is one of those cases, and I want to emphasize that the law schools there really did have a very credible claim, I think, that they deeply opposed the military's policies. Well, they opposed the military's policies, but all they really had to do was give them an empty room. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, that's not correct. At pages 60 to 62, the Court acknowledges that there were things that the law schools were required to do, like sending emails, coordinating meetings, including announcements in their newsletters, that were clearly speech. The Court below had held that Advising advising people that the military recruiters were available in a particular room, right? And including their announcements, distributing the announcements on behalf of the military, including the military's announcements in the law school's own newsletter. The Court below held and the law school — Of the the fact that they would be recruiting recruiting on campus pursuant to the Solomon Amendment. Do you think that's the same as the speech that's compelled here, which is directly opposite to the uh, beliefs uh, that the uh — uh, Ms. Smith is is uh, seeking to convey? So I think it depends very much about what type of speech we're talking about here. I don't know that it is different in a constitutional sense from the sort of speech that was described in what Justice Kagan, I think, called the basic website, where we're talking about a website that presents in an attractive way the details of the couple's wedding. I think it might be a very different case if she were compelled, if Colorado ever applied its law to compel her to create messages or express religious reviews about marriage or to do some of the opinion-based statements that Justice Kagan described. But I think that case might well come out differently. In other words, um, you would say that here's where the military recruiters are going to be with those recruiters, of course, um, using a discriminatory policy that the law schools deeply objected to. Here's where the military recruiters are going to be is very similar to here's where the wedding is going to take place, which is what standard websites do. Exactly. And in saying that, I don't want to at all minimize uh, Ms. Smith's sincere religious objection to saying that for a wedding that she opposes. I'm just making the point that the law schools also had sincere moral objections to making those statements to facilitate recruiting that they found deeply objectionable. What if the law schools also had to make available their CDO to sit down with the military and help them um, craft, you know, a, a statement that would be attributable to the military you know, this is why a career with the military, this is what it would be, this is why it's attractive, and then post it. Would that change, Rumsfeld? So there was actually evidence that 
those sorts of services were offered that the law schools were pressing that are referenced in the Third Circuit's opinion but not specifically referenced in this court's cases. I think what that starts to get into is how do you draw the line between are you providing, is it really the same speech that you would provide for someone else, and are you being required to do something that goes beyond that to express the sort of opinion-related statements that Justice Kagan What if they do it for everyone? The Career Development Office will do that for, you know, law firms. This is the job of an associate, and here's why it would appealing, would you be getting out of it? If they do that, then they would have had to do that for the military, or would that make that case more like Hurley? So I guess here's the way I'd answer the question is is the way that Hurley did. We read Hurley to ask, is the compulsion, is the burden on speech, is it truly incidental to the content-neutral regulation of conduct? And what Hurley started with on pages 572 to 573 is being emphatic in saying, this parade is not excluding people because they are gay and lesbian. It is excluding them solely because of the message that they want to send. And so the court said, applying the public accommodations law to them is not incidental. It's not serving the content-neutral regulation of conduct because they're not discriminating on the basis of status. Instead, the law in Hurley, the court said, was a equivalent to a law saying that the parade had to include any message that any protected group wanted to offer. That is not an incidental burden on speech. That is a direct burden on speech. And the reason why we view this case as being like fair and not like Hurley is because Colorado is not asking Ms. Smith to say messages or to speak messages that she would not speak for anybody. The only thing that it is saying is you can't discriminate based on status and you can't define your services based on protected status so that you can't say the thing, the message that I object to, that I won't speak for anybody, is a message that is tied to the customer's status. I I don't know how many of my colleagues have looked at the actual website. I don't even see celebration of marriage in any of the examples. Uh, Exhibit A, page 51, says, save the date. Lily and Luke, November 20th. You're invited. And it says, Lily and Luke, and the date, and place, the town. The uh, Exhibit 52 is counting down the days. doesn't even say what it's counting down for, except our special day, which everybody has to assume is the couples. 53 is an RSVP with pictures. 54 is our blog. Bring your dancing shoes. 55 is their date. It all began seven years ago. Lily's version and Luke's version. It's clearly not 303's version. We love each other and coffee. I don't even know what CO Colorado. Jesus, dogs, and diving. We love each other is the couple who loves Jesus. I assume your adversary won't say Jesus doesn't love them back, but it doesn't say that. The 57 is the ceremony, 58 is the reception, location, spirits, dinner menu, and dancing, 59 is location. I don't see anywhere I'm celebrating the marriage or God loves anyone or anything to do with anything like that. So have you reviewed this website? I have, Justice Sotomayor. Do you believe that there's any page that says celebrate the marriage? 
I, honestly, to, as I stand here today, I can't remember whether there is or not. I don't think it would make a difference if there were. And I think what the examples that you just read highlight is that there are, is a lot of websites or content on websites that is properly within this case because it is consistent with the stipulations, Justice Gorsuch, and with the scope of relief that they're asking for and with the type of services that Ms. Wagner has described this what morning. What they're asking for is a status-based exemption that, to accommodate. That, that's exactly right. Well, on that, I thought, we, not a speech-based uh, exception. I just I, I thought at uh, pages 188A and 189A, uh, the stipulation below uh, said that the additions to the web page stated, and then it lists the firm belief in God uh, that they, uh, Ms. Smith, subscribed to. Uh, is that — do you understand that to be part of the stipulations or not? I do, Mr. Chief Justice, but that's referring to her website, her business's own website, not the websites that she would create for clients and not the websites that would be subject to the public accommodations law. And we also — I'm sorry. Go ahead. please, Chief. I was just going to say also on page 188A is the the stipulation that her religious beliefs will be unmistakable to the public after viewing the addition to the — Web page. Yes. Yeah, so once again, that's describing her website, not the websites that she would create for clients or the Colorado law might her might require her to provide on a non-discriminatory basis. And counsel, we, we also have stipulations from Colorado that the plaintiff is willing to work with all people, regardless of classifications such as race, creed, sexual orientation, and gender. Right. In some respects, yes, but so that, not. that is the stipulation. I just read it. You, you disagree with that? The stipulated fact in this case. That is stipulated, but it's also clear that she will not provide any wedding website for a same-sex couple. She, well, for a same-sex wedding, and she for wouldn't provide wedding, it yes. to a heterosexual couple either, right? But that's still discrimination within the meaning of Just God. as she wouldn't sell a, a website that celebrates a heterosexual union that she disagreed with to anyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, right? That may be right, Justice Gorsuch, but I think Masterpiece couldn't have been clearer in saying that declining to sell goods or services, even expressive goods and services, for a same-sex wedding is a form of status-based discrimination properly within the scope of public accommodations. On on that, I just want to make sure I understand. Do we agree as well that this this work that the plaintiff performs is expressive in nature? We do. Thank you. And if it's expressive, what what about my photograph uh, hypothetical? So I didn't belabor this at the beginning, Justice Jackson, but your photograph hypothetical is exactly the sort of implication of the arguments that petitioners are advancing that are of concern to the United States. We really do think it's very difficult if you accept her principle, is it speech and does the speaker believe the message has changed, to say that someone who is doing that would not be entitled under her theory to an exemption from the public accommodations laws. And we think that's a very sweeping accommodation that's inconsistent with the court's admonition in Masterpiece Cake Shop that any sorts of carve-outs in these areas have to be carefully cabined to avoid undermining the government's compelling interest in ensuring that all Americans have equal access to the public market. And so just to be clear, right, it, it, it's the same photograph for both customers that this expression in my example is classic scenes with Santa, it's a wonderful life, 1940s. And we want the, the artist, the photographer wants Santa with the kinds of depictions that are in that movie, and he wants to sell that to everybody, but what that means is only some people can be depicted in that picture. Is that, that's, I'm just trying to make it, because we've heard a lot of questions about, well, isn't she customizing it? I mean, he's customizing each photo, but what he's saying is, I won't 
do the customization for these folks who want depictions with Santa because that is inconsistent with my beliefs about how that scene should be depicted and I'm an artist and you'd be forcing me to put out into the world pictures of Santa with children that I think uh, are inconsistent with my view of how Santa should be depicted. We agree, Justice Jackson. We think if you accept petitioner's theory, the upshot is that that photographer or a photographer who says, I won't take corporate headshots for women because I don't want to send the message that women should be leaders in the workplace can deny service to a class of people. Mr. Fletcher, what if you have um, a gay couple who runs a web design business in a college town? And you know, a big part of their business is developing websites for student organizations, the environmental organization, like different rec club leagues, whatever. And then you have a Christian organization or Catholic organization that um, basically stands for and advocates traditional views of marriage. This is the raison d'etre for the club. They host debates, invite speakers, um, and they want the standard website that this couple provides in their business, which is, you know, uh, graphics that make it look appealing, kind of an about us page that describes what they do and what their beliefs are. And let's say that this couple, like 303 Creative, has on the bottom of every page, like, you know, design, designed by, you know, Jack and Michael. Everything this club wants to say is an anathema to this couple. Do they have to can you compel that speech? Do they have to publish it? I don't think they do. Why? Because I don't think that's a refusal based on status. Okay, this is my question. That's why I asked it. Because I think here there's a a difference of opinion about whether turning down the same-sex couple simply for purposes of the marriage announcement is a turn down based on status or message. And it seems to me in my hypothetical that the status of the club is inextricably intertwined with the message they want to speak. So why is it different? For a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, just to, to start with same, the same-sex marriage context, this court has recognized that that's a circumstance where status and conduct are inextricably intertwined. In Lawrence and Masterpiece, the court has said refusing to serve for same-sex marriages is discrimination against same, uh, uh, gays and lesbians because status and conduct is inextricably intertwined. The public accommodations laws and the anti-discrimination laws generally don't work that way in general. We don't think that the expression of particular views is inextricably intertwined with having a particular religion or being a Democrat or a Republican. In general, in public accommodations laws, we say when you discriminate against someone because they want you to print a website or serve an event or cater an event for something that you disagree with, we wouldn't say that that's a status-based refusal. Uh, and I think that's correct. I, I don't so think... So this is a carve-out that's applicable just to the same-sex context? I think it's a context... It's like the court's recognition in Bray that attacks on yarmulkes is attacks on Jews. There are certain rare contexts where status and conduct are inextricably intertwined, and I think the court has rightly recognized that same-sex marriage is one of them. Thank you. Justice Thomas? Justice Alito? Uh, I, I want to make sure I understand some of the contours of your argument. So my first question is whether you believe that speech can be compelled so long as the person who is compelled to speech to speak um, is uh, is not associated with the compelled speech. That's not the line that we draw, Justice Alito. I think we focused on is it being compelled pursuant incidental to a content-neutral regulation of conduct, as in fair, or is it not? Well, outside of that context, in general, uh, does the prohibition or restriction of compelled speech apply only where there is no danger of attribution? 
I don't think so, no. I would imagine applying in other contexts, too. Okay. Do you uh, agree with Mr. Olson that a, a website uh, for marriages can tailor the website in a way that makes the website unacceptable to same-sex couples? By saying, for instance, we on every website, we believe that marriage is only between one man and one woman or something like that. Yes, we You do. believe that's that's permissible? We understand that to be permissible as a matter of Colorado law, and also we think that's consistent with the way the public accommodations laws usually work. Mr. Olson's answer to that was if a website, or part of the answer at least, was that if a website included something like that, that would cause the website to lose a significant amount of business because some opposite-sex couples wouldn't want that. But that's dependent on the views of the community about um, opposite-sex, about same-sex — I'm sorry, about same-sex marriages. What if it's in a community where 99 percent of the public agree with that view, that same-sex marriages are are bad, and they're happy to have that associated with it? So I don't think my answer changes, Justice Alito, because I think that imposing a requirement or prohibiting that inclusion on a website is directly targeting the expressive content of Isn't that of kind of a silly distinction? Uh, Justice Alito, respectfully, no, I, I don't think it is. I think it's one that's familiar both to public accommodations laws and to the First Amendment. So in the public accommodations context, as Mr. Olson said, you could have a store that can say, we sell products that are solely for you know, related to Judaism, and it's not likely to be appealing to Christians or Hindus, but no one thinks the store is violating the public accommodations laws unless it says no Christians or Hindus may enter, and then it is violating the public accommodations Is there any laws. limit to how broadly a state can define a public accommodation. So uh, suppose the state defines it as any business and provide a business that provides services to a significant portion of the public. I, uh, would that make mean it's no? It can't be regarded as a public accommodations anymore. I don't know about that line specifically, Justice Alito. I, I will accept the premise of the question. I do think there are limits as to how far the state can go, at least when we're talking about what's a sufficiently substantial interest to justify or to pass scrutiny under the O'Brien test. Well, I, I ask this because a lot of the arguments uh, on your side uh, seemed to view uh, public accommodations uh, that if it's a public accommodations law, it's generally okay. Uh, there's no problem with it. And that's why I want to know how far that can be expanded. So uh, some selectivity would not necessarily take a business outside of the, the definition of public accommodations. The same arguments would apply. Some selectivity wouldn't take them out, but I think the farther the state wanders from the sort of traditional core of commercial establishments that hold themselves out as serving the public, the weaker the state interest What is. about the characteristics uh, uh, that form the basis for an impermissible denial of service. Any limit to those? I think they're the same answer. So not in the sense that a state can define its public accommodations laws however it wants. But yes, when it starts to bump up against the First Amendment and you're applying the O'Brien standard, protection for some characteristics, you know, things that go beyond the traditional things like race, sex, sexual orientation, religion, those at issue here, and get out into political affiliation or, you know. It can't define it as political affiliation. It can't declining to include political affiliation, I'm not saying it ideology. Can't, I'm not saying it can't define it that way. I'm just saying that the interests supported by such a prohibition would be weaker than the really core ones like those that we see at issue here. Uh, along um, uh, — okay, so how much selectivity do you think is required? 
so that's going to be, I think, in the first instance as a state law matter or as a constitutional sort of backstop matter, I think it's hard to give a precise answer. I think the court's opinion in Fulton gives some guidance and says more selectivity, more individualized review uh, is less likely to be a public accommodation. And in contrast, an entity that generally holds itself out as open to the public can't escape the public accommodations laws just by imposing a discriminatory limitation or some pretense of selectivity. And I I know I can't give you a bright line, but I think this is a familiar problem in public accommodations. Suppose last, I think my last question, suppose 303 Creative says that uh, there's so much demand for our services that we have to be selective in who we choose. Would this be? Would that make this case? Would this case come out differently then? I don't think so, Justice Alito. I think that a business that is open to the public and serves the public, but has more business than it can handle, and so has to be selective, is still a public accommodation. Thank you, Justice Sotomayor. Justice Kagan. Um, Mr. Fletcher, when I read your brief, I had the sense that you and General Olson, Colorado, parted ways on on, on um, some matters. And I'll just uh, on uh, my hypothetical. God blesses this union. I thought that you might fi- find that more difficult than General Olson. And I'm wondering if I'm right about that. And uh, and if I am right, why? and what that says about your argument generally. So let me give you the answer I give today. I'd start with just the same observation that General Olson gave you, which is that I think their free exercise clause issues might come into play. I'll put those to the side because this is a speech case, right? And I think what that pushes on is can the person who's providing services credibly say, I'm not denying service just because of status. I'm denying service because there's some message that's not just tied to status that I'm not willing to speak for anybody. And to me... Gay marriages are wonderful to take the uh, uh, religion out of it. Right. So obviously... Ms. Smith can say, I will not make any wedding website for anyone that says gay marriages are wonderful. She can refuse on that ground. Colorado agrees. We agree. Right? Right. I guess the God bless this union was uh, was supposed to be so that it would be, she would be, like, perfectly fine with saying it for some couples and not fine with saying it for other couples. Correct. Yes. And I I guess it's it's a harder case. Uh, You know, I think it's one of the reasons why this case is frustrating is because we don't have any concrete facts. I think my inclination on that case is that I think she has a strong argument to say, really, that is making me send a different message because of the context. It's not a literal test. It's not just are the words exactly the same, right? We acknowledge that context matters. And so in a case like that, I think she has a much stronger claim to say, if Colorado applied its law to make me say that, and I I think it's far from clear that Colorado would, then it wouldn't be imposing the sort of incidental burden the court saw in Fair. Then it's imposing the sort of direct burden you saw in Hurley, and the analysis looks very different. Yeah, so what you said is part of what frustrates me about this case, because You know, I guess my view when I'm trying to think up hypotheticals for myself is a little bit, it depends. On the first set of hypotheticals I gave, I would come out one way. And on the second set of hypotheticals I gave, I hope I'm not giving too much away, I think it's much tougher and I might come out the other way. And and it really depends on the facts and on what exactly Ms. Smith is being asked or compelled to do. And that matters. And we have a case without any of that in it. And what should I do with that? 
So I think you should take the case as it comes to you. And as it comes to you, it's Ms. Smith saying, I want to post a sign saying, I will not provide any websites for any same-sex marriages. That's Pet App 7A. Categorical rule. Categorical rule based on status. And at page 303 to 304 in the, of the joint appendix, which General Olson referred to, that's the relief that she's seeking, how she's framed her claim. What she wants is an injunction that says you Justice can't Gorsuch says we don't want to do things based on relief because courts are in control of relief. So take out that part of your, I mean, whether he might be right, he might not be right, but would it matter if we took that out? I, I, don't, I don't think it would, because what I heard Ms. Wagoner say this morning when she was asked about what her client wants to do is that the services she'd provide are not limited to the ones that are described in the stipulations. She would provide something that wasn't so customized, as long as it was to an opposite-sex couple, but she wouldn't provide it to a same-sex couple. That is what she is asking the courts to validate. And I think the court can take that claim as she presents it and say, on that level of generality, she is not entitled to pre-enforcement relief. But I think it can also do, to, because I recognize there are harder questions out there, it could and should do what it did in Holder versus Humanitarian Law Project and Doe versus Reed and say, in rejecting this facial challenge, in part, or I'm sorry, pre-enforcement challenge, in part because we need more facts and we don't have them, we are not foreclosing the possibility that there's narrow relief in future cases with concrete facts. Uh, last question. Um, you said to Justice Jackson that you didn't want to belabor the point, but her hypothetical is exactly the kind of hypothetical that you're concerned about. Um, uh, you must have done many moots of this case and thought of many hypotheticals. What are your two ones that you're like <laughs> killers? If we rule for Ms. Wagoner and her client, what happens? Give me two hypotheticals. That's a lot of pressure on my mooters. Um, my, my favorite one is this court's decision in Runyon versus McQuarrie, which was about a school that wanted to exclude children of particular races. And it said the reason we want to do this is because segregation is important to our beliefs, and that's what we want to teach. And this court said you are free to teach segregation in your school, but you can't act on that belief by excluding children of particular races. And I think there's a private school, obviously. And I think if petitioners are right, that case comes out differently as long as the school can come in and say, when we teach, we are expressing messages, and those messages change when we express them to students of different races. I think that's very troubling. And I guess I take Justice Alito's point that I do not mean to equate those who have different views about marriage to racists, but the reason why I rely on those hypotheticals is because this court's First Amendment jurisprudence does not distinguish between views we find odious and those we respect. The same principles apply in both cases, and if the principles lead to unacceptable places when we consider them in light of odious views, then I think we have to reject those principles even in a case where we sympathize with and respect the views. Thank you. Justice Gorsuch? I think at the end of two hours, we are now in the afternoon, by the way. Good afternoon. Uh, that w there, There's actually radical agreement on, on how we should analyze this case legally. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, I, I disagree, but well, go ahead. <laughs> haven't even given me a chance. That That, that what, what would be impermissible is discrimination on the basis of status, but what would be permissible is, is refusing service because of a disagreement about views. So I guess I, what I, the reason I disagreed at first is to say I think there is general agreement that that's about the right outcome. That that's to about get to. the right way to think about this case. But great difference of opinion about how legally you get there, uh, and that leads uh, but, to difference but, of opinion but, about but, but, how but, you but, answer it. I, I, I was about you just stealing my thunder, counsel. <laughs> You think this is a status case. The other side thinks it's a, a viewpoint case. Is that fair, too? I, I wouldn't say that. I acknowledge that this is a status and a message case. Okay, it's both yes. in your view. I'm sorry. Whereas they would say it's a message case. Correct. But to think about it, the status versus message is — I just want to make sure we all agree that 
that's the right way to think about this case. Correct. And can I explain why we think that's sure. the right way to think about sure. the case? Because we think the first question is, is the burden that's being imposed on Ms. Smith incidental to a content-neutral regulation of conduct that says you can't turn people away because of status? So right. to us, the first question is, is what she's doing status-based discrimination? Right. And if the answer is yes, then the burden is incidental, even if she thinks it affects no, I, 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 I got that about an hour ago. But thank you. I, I, I apologize. Now, um, the, the, the other question I had is, in your view, this is status-based, but Justice Barrett's hypothetical of the inverse situation is message-based. I wouldn't describe it as the inverse situation because I didn't understand the hypothetical to say that the campus print website design company was turning people away because of their status. I understood it to be turning them away because they wanted to say things that the company would not say. That's one way of describing it. Or one might describe it as turning away those with traditionalist views of marriage based on their religious beliefs. Conservative Christians, for example. So I guess I just disagree with that, Justice Gorsuch. I think the way we answer any status-based discrimination question is we change the protected status, we hold everything else constant, and we ask, does the outcome change? And in Ms. Smith's case, you change the protected status. It's, you know, Jack and Taylor, and you ask, will she make the website? Except for that runs into all those stipulated facts in which the plaintiff has said repeatedly that she will serve everyone, and she would deny everyone this kind of website. She, but denying everyone... Whether Everyone, it's, it's, regardless it's, of status. Right. But it, right? It's, it's race discrimination to say I won't serve interracial — I won't create inter, websites for interracial marriage, and I won't sell them even to a white wedding planner. That's still race it discrimination. Can be, it can be status or it can be message, and we have to figure that out in this case, Right. What I, but the way you would figure it out is, does, has Colorado validly defined it as status-based discrimination? And I think the answer that the court gave at pages 1727 to 1729 of Masterpiece is yes. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Justice Kavanaugh? I just want to follow up there and ask about one thing in your brief. On page 32 of your brief, uh, you deal with a few hypotheticals. Uh, the hypotheticals you dealt with were uh, requiring Muslim filmmakers to promote Scientology compelling lesbian artists to design church websites criticizing same-sex marriage, or, and the third one I really want to focus on, or forcing writers to write speeches that violate their most deeply held convictions. So those are the three hypotheticals you posit, responding to the other side. And then you say, those hypotheticals, unlike this case, involve direct burdens on speech because they contemplate speakers being forced to create and convey ideological messages they would not create for anyone. And I think the other side would say that's exactly this case, too, to take that third category. These are writers, in essence, being asked to write speeches that violate their most deeply held convictions. So I'm trying to figure out, given what you say there, how you would say this case does not involve the same thing as a writer being forced to write speeches that violate their most deeply held convictions. Because in each of those hypotheticals, you can't posit a content-neutral law like a public accommodations law that would validly require the writer or the speaker or the filmmaker to do what the hypothetical is posited. It's because in those cases, as we say, it's a direct burden on speech. The regulation is compelling you to write something you deeply disagree with because of the message. It's not incidental to a content-neutral regulation of conduct like the court confronted in FAIR and like we believe it's confronted with here. You don't think applying a uh, public accommodations law to a uh, speech writing business that offers to do speeches or PR releases for anyone, uh, but they say, oh, we're not going to do 
this message. Uh, you don't think that's this I, I, they I, would say that's this case, and you say it's not because I think they'd be wrong. I, I, so, first of all, at a couple of levels, yeah. speechwriters aren't likely to be public accommodations. Set that aside. Suppose yeah, you yeah. had one that was one, right? And, until they are, after this case, if you prevail, I mean, that's that's the, that's what states could do. But but I've tried to give you, in response to Justice Alito, there is, I think, a constitutional backstop about you know core public accommodations laws. We think satisfy O'Brien scrutiny. If a state wanders from that, not so, not so much. But again, just to get to the nub of your hypothetical, we think if the speechwriter says, uh, here's a speech that expresses views that I abhor and I won't write the speech, they wouldn't do that for anybody, regardless of status. Now, it may be that the status of the person who's asking them to write the speech is somehow correlated with the message in some way, but that's still not status-based discrimination in the way that the law regards discrimination against people who are entering into a same-sex marriage as status-based discrimination. Okay. Thank you. Justice Barrett? Justice Jackson? Can I just say that I'm sort of trying to think about what you've just said in your exchange with Justice um, uh, uh, <laughs> Kavanaugh, Slate, um, by wondering whether or not it has something to do with the message being implicitly uh, provided in a situation in which the, what's actually being stated is the same. So. You know, what would you think of a holding that says that the First Amendment protects this designer's right to provide products that explicitly express her beliefs about marriage? So she absolutely has the right to say one man, one woman in every website, and she has the right to refuse to say gay marriage is great in any website. But what she's really asking for in this case, I think, is the right to say the same thing. Here's the wedding. It's at this place, et cetera, et cetera. But she's afraid that if she says it for gay people, that that will be sort of like an implicit endorsement of their wedding. And so she wants to be able to protect uh, against implicitly endorsing, right, in a way that we've never really recognized before in the same way, when it isn't really clear that that's her message, when we don't, when an objective observer wouldn't know that she was really trying to do that. Am I right in trying to think about explicit versus implicit in this way? I think that basically maps onto the test that we're trying to give you, which is to say, if she's discriminating based on status, and that includes if she's defining the message or the product based on the status, defining the what by the who, that's not okay. But other than that, she has the freedom to define her own product. And I think I'd agree with you entirely that the court has never recognized that sort of implicit uh, problem as being sufficient. And in fact, I would say in fair, the court squarely rejected it, where the law schools had a claim that was very, very similar in structure to say, we don't want to implicitly support these policies. We deeply, deeply oppose. No one doubted there was implicit support. No one doubted it was speech. But because it was incidental, the court upheld it. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal, Ms. Wagoner. Mr. Chief Justice, the United States says that you can refuse to express messages unless those messages are about marriage and unless those views on marriage have to do with believing that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's a significant concession that the government has made. In terms of this issue of categorical denial, the only categorical denial that Ms. Smith seeks or a categorical request she seeks is to have message-based protection that the First Amendment already provides. It's based on the message. And in that way, this court decides every 
every speech case based on the message. We can look at FAIR. We can look at Miami Herald, Tornillo. All of the court's cases on speech where compelled speech is applied, you will see the effect or alter the message test, including in Hurley. And in order to rule against Ms. Smith in this particular case, it does seem that the court would essentially have to overrule that Hurley framework. Second, Chief Justice Roberts raised the issue of FAIR and how FAIR applies, and the United States has suggested that somehow this case is closer to that. But in FAIR itself, FAIR was about a duty to give access to empty rooms. The logistical emails that were to send directions to how to go to those rooms was a duty that was required to facilitate legal conduct. This case is speech that's only incidental to speech. When you have a speech corrector, creator, you're in a very different space, as the court articulated in FAIR itself, looking at Woolley and Barnett, where you are intruding on the mind and the spirit to force someone to create a message that violates their convictions. FAIR would be a very different case if the law schools were to have advocated for the don't ask, don't tell policy. In terms of whose speech it is, that's come up a few times. At worst, it's both. Third-party perceptions cannot possibly matter to this case, or we wouldn't have any of the other compelled speech doctrine cases. Barnett, Woolley, the newspaper cases, all of those, you wouldn't have any, and the government would have unfettered authority to compel speech because we would all know it was the government that was doing it. In addition to that, the definition of public accommodation. My friends on the other side are playing a little fast and loose with what the statute says and how they've interpreted it in the past. The statute says a place of a public accommodation. On page 41 of Colorado's brief, they say that applies to virtual sales as well, meaning the soccer mom earning some extra income, trying to sell her handmade sign. She's a public accommodation under this law. It is broad, and it would take away First Amendment rights just for opening a business. Certainly, Michelangelo's speech was sold and commissioned, but we would all say it had protection. In addition, the idea that we can't give a bright line. The bright line we give is the line that this court has consistently followed. And I find it ironic in the United States also having to concede they can't give a bright line. For some reason, political speech is protected, but religious speech is not protected under this law. The bright line is, is the message affected? And as Justice Gorsuch brought up, that line is massive when it comes to the distinction between pre-made speech, plug and play, and speech that you are creating in a custom way. In conclusion, Ms. Smith's speech has been chilled for over six years, and the record demonstrates every website she would create would create a custom message that is celebratory. Colorado asked this court for the power to drive views like Ms. Smith's from the public square. Views about marriage that this court has held are honorable and decent, promises that it has provided that the government would not mandate orthodoxy. Cultural winds may shift, but the compelled speech doctrine should not. Compelled speech crushes the speaker's conscience, and it is the tool of authoritarianism, which is why this court has never allowed it. In the end, it is not Ms. Smith who is asking you to change the law, but Colorado. This court should affirm again, that public accommodation laws cannot be used to compel speech, and this includes artistic expression, photography, painting, calligraphy, and films, forms of media that the lower courts have shockingly refused, refused to recognize as speech when it comes to marriage. And yes, this court should give guidance to limit the cruelty that has been imposed by endless litigation on artists like Jack Phillips. 
one need not agree with a particular belief to affirm that law-abiding people have a right to speak their conscience, including on a controversial subject like marriage, and that noble principle is rooted in love of neighbor, extending the same rights to others that we want for ourselves. This right to be free from government coercion of speech is also foundational to our self-government and to the free and fearless pursuit of truth. Thank you. This court should reverse. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.